From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And joining us right now is Matt Boyle. And Matt, Matt, you were you what what's your beat right now? It's everything related to the workplace, pretty much, and also management trends. Okay. And one management trend that is definitely in place is CEOs or leaders who kind of stay past their welcome. Yeah, they usually kind of do. It's weird how you give people all that power and they don't ever want to give it up. But um, I decided to take a look at it uh, in the wake of, of Jim Beheim's ouster after 47 years as the head coach of Syracuse's uh, basketball <laughs> team. And uh, this is a, you know sort of similar because he had said he was going to leave at, in 2015. He said he'd be <laughs> gone in three years. And then, oh, Lo and behold, didn't. He ended up coaching his sons, and then, of course, COVID hit. But even as, as you know, as, as recently as February, he said he might come back for another season. And he had a very, very mediocre year this year. And this is a program that's usually, you know... Um, that's unacceptable. Like, exactly. Not acceptable there. So I think the school finally said, look, Jim, it's time. But it got me thinking about, you know, what about corporate boards of directors? You know, when do they say to a CEO who's very powerful, often on the board as, as chairman, you know, it's time to go. So there is plenty of research on this. About some of it is about you know founder CEOs mm-hmm. like at you know Bezos or Fred Smith at, at FedEx. Um, Smith is a very good example of a CEO who probably should have left uh, before he did. And then also just sort of run of the mill CEOs. You know, when when do they get past their expiration date basically, and what should boards do? So, Matt, you know, you've looked at a lot of other companies, um, AIG, Hank Greenberg, Viacom, Sumner Redstone, Uber, you know, you, you know, talk to us about, you know, what your analysis has uncovered. At what point in the life cycle of a CEO um should they be leaving or thinking about leaving? Well, the average tenure of a CEO is usually around five, six, seven, eight years. It fluctuates, but it certainly went up during COVID because a lot of CEOs said, this is an unprecedented crisis. I'm not going anywhere. I got to stay in the ship to steer it through these, you know, these choppy waters. So the average CEO tenure in the S&P 500 during COVID went up uh, over 10 years, which is not something you see often because a lot of CEOs are just like, I got to stick around. So, you know, but that is, you know, COVID is easing now. You know, we're seeing now companies are sort of returning to some sense of normalcy. Um, But the problem, though, is that those CEOs who steered their companies through COVID are deciding, some of them at least, um, you know, I'm good, actually, like Target's Brian Cornell, a company I know very well from covering the retail scene. He's had decided to stay for another three years, which will put him past uh, what had been the uh, the mandatory retirement age at the company. And then his friend at Walmart, Doug McMillan, again, both of these CEOs have done a good job, but McMillan is now saying he's going to stay for another three years. So whether or not there are, you know, activist investors screaming for them to to get to, you know, to get 
to get away is not the point. It's that this really screws up a company's succession plan. Yes. You have all these you know, executives below them, the next ranks, who are thinking, when's my turn? When's my turn? And then the CEO turns around and says, eh, I'm going to stay another three years. Eh, maybe five. So what does that do to them? They, they usually take off and leave. Right. And then you have nobody on the bench when the CEO eventually decides to go. I think of Disney with Bob Iger, uh, yeah. where he kept pushing off his retirement. Exactly. And I think of Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase, who has at various points said, I'm going to stay for another five years. And then the five years comes up, or maybe right before yeah. then, I'm going to stay for another five years. And all the uh, seasoned executives who were below him and who are excellent in their field end up going somewhere else. Exactly. Fred Smith, another example. He had two uh, really good heir parents who uh, took off in 2019. Um, you know, they did find a, a successor eventually, but still, you lose your best people when the CEO is just... And the problem, of course, lies with the boards. The, the boards are the ones who should be in charge of succession and figuring out you know, who is the next generation. And uh, you know, unfortunately, certainly here in the US, boards are pretty pliant. They're pretty, you know, they do what the CEO wants. Yeah, and those are corporate boards. I, I would imagine at a university where the coach has a winning track record and yeah. is beloved by the school, by the alumni network, that it's even harder to exactly. move that person These out. Exactly, these powerful constituencies, you know, whether it's boosters and you know alumni, trustees, you know, everybody loves to get the picture with the coach. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be, you know, have courtside tickets, and that really just creates this sense of, you know, it's 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 like a deity, it's a king. You know, these people are kings on campus. Um, they're getting paid like kings in many cases as well. Um, so you have that uh, going on as well. So there's just, you know, you really need to get just sort of, well, I mean, at the end of the day, grow a spine, you know, and be able to tell these <laughs> these CEOs or coaches, you know, it is time to go um, and, you know, have that difficult conversation so you don't have to have it now. Do you see activist investors aggressively pushing for a succession plan? I know that we got that a bit with Nelson Peltz and uh, Disney in the mm-hmm. last couple of months, but in general, are they actively saying to the board, you need to do something more on this beyond get the share price well, up? Well, it's, yeah, it's do something, but is it is it always going to be get rid of the CEO? I mean, look at Salesforce. Benioff is still there and yeah. actually has Calling gotten rid shots. He's gotten rid of two co-CEOs, not just one co-CEO, because at the end of the day, the activists are probably like, well, we want, you know, we want changes, but Mark is the one to implement those changes. So you're not always going to have uh, activists saying, get rid of the CEO. I'm going back a few years, but Unilever, another Nelson Peltz example, um, where it was kind of time for Paul Pullman, who had been a legendary mm-hmm. CEO in Europe and in the U.S., uh, for him to go. Now, granted, his successor, though, got in a lot of hot water. So, you know, with activists, I think they're often saying, you know, we got to cut costs. We need to do this. We want to be on the board. Um, but it's not their their recipe is not always ditch the CEO because sometimes the CEO is talking to them. So it's and, just get it done. Yes, yeah, just get something done, get change done. Um, but not always is it going to be you know dump the CEO because even the activists might be in thrall to the CEO as well, right? Right. Good right. Point. You know, you mentioned something about the difference between founder and non-founder CEOs in your in your report and. I wonder how that differs from some of these legacy coaches like Beheim, like Shashevsky, and their successors. I mean, obviously, Beheim and Shashevsky were there for years, and many can pretty much call them the founder of those college basketball programs, right? Yeah, you, they you were raise around a good for, point. Exactly. You know, but but it, I, but but I think it's a little bit different in corporate America. I wonder if you could just expand on that. Well, I mean, it's. 
it's different, but you raise a good point that it's almost kind of similar. Shashevsky and, and Beheim are almost really seen. They're you know as the founders of certainly the founders of the, those yes. programs being you know seen as luminaries mm-hmm. and ones that everyone else wants to model. So if they are the models for everyone else to follow, then other coaches are going to say, well, they stayed forever. You yeah. know, if I create a successful program, then I can stay forever. And you you don't have the boards of directors uh, in a university system sort of you know hopefully being able to say, okay, well, you're doing a great job, but can we make sure we have a succession plan in place? The problem in sports is you often see coaches do have uh, great coaches under them, but then they go they often go off and get head yes. coaching jobs elsewhere. That's an issue. It does happen in corporate America as well. I mean, look at Procter & Gamble, just a, a place where CEOs are created. They have all these massive business units um, where the people running those business units will often go grab a CEO job elsewhere. So I think it's a problem in both cases. I think corporate boards, though, the bottom line is they need to be doing more on the university level. You just need to have, again, a little bit more willingness to say, okay, coach, you're great, but, you know, who, who's, what's the next generation? You know, please give us more than one option because your top option, your head, you know, your favorite assistant is probably going to head off somewhere else pretty soon. No one wants to risk a, a rebuilding year or a couple of rebuilding years. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, no one wants to risk a rebuilding stock as well, mm-hmm. you know. In, in uh, So, yeah, with these programs, it's just win now, win always. And that really creates a lot of pressure on these places. Matt Boyle, fantastic to get your take. Matt Boyle, of course, for years, a retail industry reporter, now covering the shifting changes at work in our workplace. Thanks Thank so you. much. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Scarlett Fu here with Damian Sassauer. Catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, where we explore the world of money and sport. Also find me on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And you can catch me on Twitter at D Sassauer. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.